Hello, welcome to the podcast at Jesper Baptist Church. Well, this is our last Sunday in 2019. Next week will not only be a new year, but it will be a new decade. So at Chesbro Baptist Church, we're going to examine kind of what our church wants to do over the next year as far as church growth. And that's the title of the message this morning, Church Growth. Please enjoy. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to take a little break from our series through the book of 1 Peter. I do that from time to time, Acts chapter 2, and uh, if you have your places, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand in respect and reverence the Word of God, I'll give you all just another second to get there, Acts chapter 2, we're going to read the first four verses of Acts chapter 2, and then we'll skip down and read one more verse. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Skip all the way down to the last verse, verse number 47. We're going to read the last phrase of verse number 47. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The title of the message this morning is Church Growth. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning and may our minds not be anywhere else. May our minds and our hearts be focused on what you have for us from the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. You may be seated. Like I said, we are taking a short break from our series through the book of 1 Peter. And the reason for that is because this is the last Sunday of 2019. Not only next year will it be a new year, Next Sunday, it's going to be a new decade, a new decade, new beginning. And so with that in mind, I want to set up what our church needs to be going for in this next year and in this next decade. Here in Acts chapter 2, we have a story of the first church, and this is the story of the first church's first revival. This is the day of Pentecost and we have the Holy Spirit coming down on 120 of, of these believers and because the Holy Spirit comes down, there's, there's a commotion in town and a crowd begins to gather and a crowd begins to look onto this commotion. Peter stands up who at one time was a coward. Now Peter stands up boldly and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're told in the Bible because Peter stood up and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, 3,000 souls were added to their ranks in one day. You know what I call that? I call that explosive growth. That is explosive growth. But, but what's the key 
to understanding this growth here? What's the key to understanding what's special about this growth in Acts chapter 2? And what's special about it is found in verse number 47. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So that's what's special about this church growth is that the Lord was the one adding to the church. So what I want to do this morning is, is, is I want to talk about this church in Acts 2, and I want to talk about how a church should grow and why a church should grow. Here in America, we have given birth to a movement, the movement of the megachurch. And because of this movement of the megachurch, there's an unfortunate uh, consequence of this. And, and the unfortunate, unfortunate consequence is the measuring stick for which a church is measured in our society. Numbers has become the measuring stick of an effective church. Numbers has become the measuring stick of an effective ministry. And the attitude is the big churches are doing something right and the small churches are doing something wrong. I love my dad. And every time I go see my dad, eventually, every time, if you wait long enough, it'll come. He always asks me the same question every time I see him. And the question is, Brett, how many did you have on Sunday? He always asks that to say, Dad, we're, we're doing okay, Dad. We're doing okay. But the truth of the matter is numbers is a tangible way to, to measure growth. You can see it. You can write down a piece of paper. You can feel it, you know. Um, and, and so we create programs that, that are aimed at increasing attendance. Now, on the one hand, there is some truth to this. A growing church is a healthy church. Healthy sheep reproduce. So a growing church is a healthy church. There's nothing wrong with wanting your church to grow. Nothing wrong with that. But there can be a danger to it. There can be a danger to it because the danger is we forget to ask the question, does church growth guarantee church health? Does it guarantee that? And we see this illustrated in Major League Baseball players. Back in the 90s, well, they still do it today, I'm assuming, but back in the 90s, Baseball players were real bad on taking steroids and human growth hormone. Moan. And, and, and back in the 90s, man, those guys, they were hitting homers left and right out of the park, just smashing the ball. So strong as an ox. We get today, and they're in their 50s dropping like flies. They're dropping like flies in their 50s. Why? Because abnormal growth is not healthy for the human body. And if abnormal growth is not healthy for the human body, then abnormal growth is not healthy for the church body. So yes, numbers can be an evidence of, of healthy church growth, but numbers can also be evidence of an unhealthy church. And that's why you have to be careful. That's why numbers is not the right way to gauge things. 
Because not only can a healthy church grow in numbers, an unhealthy church can grow in numbers too. So here's what we have to do. We have to look at the how, and we have to look at the why behind the growth. Because it's the only way to determine if the church's growth is healthy or it's unhealthy. Numbers alone are not enough. So let's look at the first question. How is the church growing? How is the church growing? In Acts 2, we see the first church, and the Bible says the Lord added to the church. So we, we see the numerical growth, and we know that that growth is healthy because Jesus is the one doing it. It's not man doing it. Jesus is the one doing it. The church grew uh, because Jesus was working in that church, and it grew as a byproduct of that. Jesus was the one who did it. Verse 43 tells us that, that fear came upon every soul, and then it tells us why. Here's verse 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. You know what people, when they looked at that church in Acts 2, uh, you know, they, they looked at that church, and they didn't look at that church and say, that church has a charismatic preacher. They didn't say, that church has a modern worship service that makes me feel good. They looked at that church and said, something supernatural is going on at that church. That's what they said. They looked at it, and they saw something supernatural was going on. Church in Acts 2, it wasn't growing because it had a slick marketing campaign. It wasn't growing because they hired a consultant to come in and teach the staff how to grow the church. The growth of the church could only be attributed to one man, and it wasn't Peter, and it wasn't John. It was Jesus Christ. He was the reason the church was growing. So I want to ask you a question today. Do you want to be a, a part of a church that grows because of man's ingenuity? Or do you want to be a, a part of a church that grows because of God's direct supernatural involvement? Which one do you want to be a part of? If you can't attribute the growth of a church to Jesus, why go? Why go in the first place? Why even come to church? Now look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying a church can't have a Facebook page. I'm not saying that a church can't send out mailers. I'm not saying that a church can't advertise. There's nothing wrong with looking for creative ways to spread the gospel. But what I am saying, it should be done in moderation, and it shouldn't be the sole purpose of the church. Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you really want the growth of your church to be attributed to a billboard? I mean... Man, let me tell you something. We were really struggling, really struggling at that church. But then we sank every dime we had into a billboard. And let me tell you what, things blew up then. People are coming from all around, man. That billboard, it did the trick. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. Um, that saying that a billboard... Built the church? No, I want something supernatural to build my church. To build the church. I mean, look at it. It's not like we're in the middle of town. We out here in the country. 
This church is quite literally in the middle of a cow pasture. Okay, if you come into this church, it's because Jesus brought you here. Okay? Out in the middle of a cow pasture, if you're here, the Lord did it. Well, Brother Brad, I think we should have billboards. Okay. How much of your tithe do you want going towards a billboard as opposed to practical ministry? A billboard can cost up to $14,000. That's almost half of the yearly operating budget of this church. I don't think so. I don't think so. Why was the church in Acts 2 growing? Charismatic personality? Creative strategy? Is it because they were up there on a billboard next to J.G. Wentworth? No. No. Jesus was adding to the church. It was something done supernaturally. Now, the how is also an important question. The why, the how is important, but now the why is important too. I'm going to, we did the how and I'm going to do the why. The how is important, but the why is important too. Why is the church growing? You know what the problem with judging churches just on numbers is? The problem with that is there are churches out there, they have questionable methods, they have questionable, questionable theology, they have questionable leadership, but yet they grow to enormous numbers. And I look at that church like that, I look at the Bible and I go, huh? What? You know, you know if we factor in just, just numbers, do you know who the most successful, biblically-based, Jesus-filled pastor in America is? Joel Osteen. Lakewood Church boasts 43 thousand members North Point Andy Stanley 30,000 World Changers Creflo Dollar 15,000 Rob Bell was fired from his church in Mars Hill in Michigan he was fired because he wrote a book Love Wins and uh, his, his church had 10,000 members they said that Rob Bell was on his way to becoming the next Billy Graham Yet he was branded the biggest heretic in America. Church of 10,000 people being pastored by a heretic, claiming there's no fire in hell. We want to say big numbers means big success, and that's just not the case. So what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves, who attends these churches? Who goes to these churches and, and why do they go to these churches? Because that, that goes a long way in determining the health of a church. And it's just as important as asking how many attend. So I'm going to give you a few types of people and leaders at these churches. One, one type of these people, I'm going to call them experience junkies. Experience junkies. All they want is they're just looking for their next fix. If they can't get a religious experience or a Holy Ghost feeling, every single time they go, they are not interested. And the pastors that attract these experienced junkies, we're going to call them dealers. They're dealers. And these dealers will cook up whatever they can to keep those experienced junkies coming back to keep them on that high, keep them as high as they can get them. Instead of lifting up the preaching, they lift up the music. 
Instead of lifting up the preaching, they, 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 the, the music is given the priority. Technology is given the priority. And the preachers, they don't preach on sin. That's a downer. We just want an upper. We want an upper. We don't want any downers. We want people feeling good when they leave. So preaching on sin is a no-no. These dealers, they want people to feel spiritual without having to actually be spiritual. Another type or type of people attending these churches that aren't growing healthily, we'll call them runaways. And we'll call the leaders, we'll call them facilitators. You know what a, a runaways? They try, to, they try to run away from their problem instead of facing their problem head on and in a biblical way. You know who runaways tend to be? Runaways tend to be people who, who want to be accepted as they are. Instead of being challenged to change, to be something better, oh, just accept me for who I am. Runaways don't like authority. So, so, they're, so they're, these churches are great for, for the no one has the right to tell me what to do crowd. Another reason some of these churches experience explosive growth is because they produce an atmosphere that appeals to everybody. Because that's the goal. I'm going to call these churches circuses. And I'm going to call the leaders of those churches ringmasters. When a ringmaster stands up in a, a circus, what do they say? Come one, come all. The ringmaster's job is to make sure the people that are attending his event feel welcome and comfortable. And in order to uh, in order to appeal to a wider array of the population, they focus on the people only having a positive experience. The ringmasters at these churches, they teach from the Bible, but they don't teach the Bible. They don't teach the whole counsel of God. They're cherry pickers. They go through the Bible and they cherry pick this and they cherry pick that. And they'll pick this out and they skip over offensive stuff, <clears throat> stuff that might make somebody upset. Because how dare we if we ever offend absolutely anybody? They focus on love and they focus on peace and they focus on personal improvement. And the truths of the Bible are replaced with a message that is non-judgmental. This makes the circus church an ideal location for the Jesus loves me just the way I am crowd. Well, you know what? Jesus does love me just the way I am, but he doesn't want me to stay just the way you are. Doesn't want that. The ringmaster, he stands in the church, circus church, and he, he refuses to take any moral stands because he wants the congregation to congregate comfortably. And that's why the circus church is one of the largest of these churches. Who loves to go to circus churches? Children. Children go. People who aren't grown. Children, people who are spiritually children and because they, they, they like cotton candy and refuse to grow up. The Christians go to the church, they're baby Christians. 
But you know, surprisingly, who else likes to go to these churches? Unbelievers. Unbelievers love to go to these churches because they want a religious experience without religious conviction. And, and these circus pastors, they actually boast, hey, these unbelievers, they come to my church, and the unbelievers, they love coming to my church. These unbelievers tell me they're so comfortable at my church. Church is not designed to make an unbeliever comfortable. Church is designed to make an unbeliever squirm. That's what church is designed to do. All these churches, they draw big crowds. Why? They may draw big crowds, but they're not healthy. They're not healthy churches. In Acts 2, we know the how is right. And in Acts 2, we know the why is right. So the growth in Acts 2 is healthy growth. We know it's healthy because the how and the why is right. And the Lord added to the church, that's the how. Daily as such as should be saved, that's the why. So we know the how is right. We know the why is right. So we know this is healthy church. Healthy growth. This church wasn't a church where an experienced junkie came looking for a high. It wasn't a runaway church where people could come and run away from their problems. It wasn't a circus church where people could come and be comfortable. The church in Acts 2 was a place where people were being saved and they were coming to church to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus added to that church. People were getting saved and they were doing something right and so that's why Jesus added to them. Now how did this church in Acts 2 develop this? Because I want to know. I want to know how they did it. I want to know how that church in Acts 2 grew healthily so I can replicate it. So we can replicate it. How did they do it? Well, the verse 42 tells us. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That is the formula for healthy church growth right there. That's the formula for it. They continued steadfastly in those four things. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, I, you know, I want to know why Jesus did that for them so we can replicate it here. So let's go through these four things this morning. Number one, the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine. Now, the word steadfastly in the Greek, it means completely devoted to. It means they didn't just dip their toes into these four things. These four things consumed them. These four things, these four things were their foundation. I want our church going forward in this new year, in this new decade. I think Chesbro Baptist Church needs to have these four things as our foundation. We want healthy church growth. We are fixing to learn from the Word of God how to get it. This needs to be our foundation. Nothing is going to take these four things away from Acts 2 Church, and nothing needs to take these four things away from me and you. Now, the Greek phrase for apostles' doctrine 
it means that they continued steadfastly in what was taught to them. Okay, so what exactly did the apostles teach? Well, historically, we know they taught two things, who Jesus was and what he did for them. That's what they taught. How do we know that? Because you go to the book of Acts and literally every single sermon in the book of Acts has Jesus at its core. Every single one. Every sermon was Christ-centric. Who is Jesus? Why he died on the cross? He rose on the third day. This was the essence of Acts 2 church, of the first church. Jesus was at the center of of every single sermon. And you know what else they taught? They taught people what Jesus taught them about the Old Testament, about Jesus being in the Old Testament. That's what they taught the people. They were showing Jesus in the Old Testament. So in essence, what was the apostles' doctrine? They were teaching the Bible. They were teaching the Word of God. Look, the New Testament doesn't give us a whole lot of new stuff. It really doesn't. Jesus came to fulfill the law and to fulfill the prophets. And the New Testament, it, it mainly just repeats the Old Testament. Every single concept from Romans to Revelation got its origin from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. So the apostles had a benefit. They had a benefit that the prophets didn't. The prophets in the Old Testament saints, they looked at this and they didn't have the cipher. They didn't have the key. They didn't have the missing puzzle piece. But the apostles knew that the missing puzzle piece was Jesus. So they took the cipher, they took the key, they took the missing puzzle piece and applied it to the Old Testament and the Old Testament just opened up to them. I've taught before how every single book from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus Christ. And you could find Jesus at the center of every book. But it, man, it goes so much deeper. Let me just give you a quick example. We know that every name in the Old Testament has a, has a meaning behind it. That's how, they did Hebrew, that's how they did Hebrew names. Your name meant, told us something about you. For instance, the definition of Adam is man, and so on and so forth. So if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at the first ten men in the genealogy of Christ from Adam to Noah, Let's take a look at those 10 men. You had Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalil, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. You line these 10 names up, and then beside each name, you write the definition of each name in order. And then you take that, that, those, those definitions, and you line them up in one sentence. You know how the, what the sentence reads? The sentence is, and this is the definitions of the first 10 men in the genealogy in Old Testament lined up. The sentence is, man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort. The gospel, the Christian gospel hidden in a genealogy in the Old Testament. 
You can't tell me and I'll never believe that a group of Jewish rabbis got together and said, let's hide the Christian gospel in the genealogy, the Old Testament, in the Torah. They'll never see it coming. I don't think so. You know, it's not an accident either that the apostles' doctrine was listed first. I mean, there are other things listed important for church growth. It's not the only thing on the list, but it is the first thing, and it means it's the most important because nothing is more important than teaching the Word of God. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Teaching God, the teaching of God's word, not teaching from God's word, the teaching of God's word. You will not find any revival. You will not find any awakening that didn't have the teaching of the word of God at its core. Our culture and our country is desperate for revival today. We need it more than anything, but it's not, uh, it's not going to come. It's not going to happen in the churches I mentioned before. The only church that revival will come through will be a church that preaches the whole counsel of God and won't skip something just because it might make somebody uncomfortable. Number two, they continued steadfastly in fellowship. Now this word fellowship, it's the Greek word koinonia. And this word is all throughout the New Testament. But interestingly enough, this is the first time we see it. Where it's used here, this is the first time you find it in the Bible. It's also interesting to point out that koinonia is very hard to translate to English. Fellowship was, they kind of chose fellowship because it was the closest that they could get to. But the word, it's so much deeper than that. There's really not a good English word to describe it. Uh, koinonia could, it could not only mean fellowship, but it's so complex you can also translate it community, joint participation, oneness, togetherness, on and on and on. Think of koinonia like this. Koinonia is life sharing. It's life sharing with another person. And look, the word speaks to the fact, the word koinonia, it speaks to the fact that, listen, our Christian life is not, is not supposed to be lived by ourselves. Our Christian life is supposed to be shared with others. So these other Christians, what did they need? They needed to be taught the word of God and they needed somebody to share life with. This was so vastly important for the church, first church that they continuously sought out ways to share their life with other Christians. In layman's terms, you could say this church made it a priority to hang out with one another. They made it a priority. Koinonia doesn't mean I just have friends. It means I have partners. Those people that had koinonia in the first church, they knew that if they died that their family would be taken care of by these other people. Not by blood, by something that runs deeper than blood, spirit. The koinonia is the second essential for a healthy church. It directly follows the teaching of God's word. We're part of one body, right? 
We're part of one body. We need to grow together. So we got two choices. We can either grow together or we can be a middle schooler. You know why I say middle schooler? Because middle schoolers are super awkward. They have trouble putting one foot in front of the other. They're very clumsy. They can hardly stand up without falling down. Why? Because there are parts of their body that are growing faster than other parts. This is why teenagers are dangerous. Uh, because they're actually adult bodies with childlike brains. Literally. Don't have the ability to judge risk and reward. And then we give them a car. That's smart. That works. We have to grow together or we're deformed. There's a dangerous... Was this one clumsy? Middle schooler? There's a dangerous thought process. There's a dangerous mentality in our churches today. And that is the loner mentality. It's very dangerous. Oh, I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to be a loner. In fact, that's why a lot of people love big churches. Because they can go and they can leave and really not talk to anybody. That's right. And, and you know, we, we don't like, you know, why, you know why they don't like talking to people? Because it's people. Because it's other people. Because what people are messy. And I'm messy. When you get two messy people, it's just a lot of mess. I'm a train wreck. Why would I want to talk to somebody else that's a train wreck? I just make a bigger wreck. And you think, that's not a good thing, but it is a good thing. It actually, it, you think it'll make things worse, but it doesn't. It actually makes things better. <coughs> you know, it's harder to attend this church and fly under the radar. You come to this church, you're going to get a smile. You're going to get a handshake. Pastor's going to make you. <laughs> you know, koinonia, it isn't a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. It's the second thing on the list. It's not a suggestion. It's a requirement. If this church is going to be healthy in 2020, we are going to need koinonia. It can't be fake. can't be manufactured. If it's manufactured, if it's fake, it's not going to work. It's got to be genuine. I finish, I'm fixing to explain to you how you get genuine koinonia. This is how you do it. First, you come to church. You look around. This is going to be hard. I really don't know anyone here. Or, man, I really don't want to be here today. From here, I'm going to say hello to someone. So you go up. You introduce yourself to someone. Nothing much happens. Talk about the weather. Talk about the football game. You come for, for, for a few weeks. At some point in the process, you start seeing the same people over and over. And then eventually, guess what? You'll start remembering their names. Oh, you forgot their names the first three times. And that's why you always introduced, hey, brother. How you doing, girl? But now you remember their names. And then that's when you get really daring. Hey, you want to go? Grab lunch 
after church. Hey, let's, uh, let's set up a play date with the kids. You know, my wife makes a mean gumbo. I'm going to bring it next fellowship meal. I want you to see how good it is. Hey, we were talking about the game last week. You know, the game's on the night. I got a big TV. Why don't you come over to the house and watch the game? How do you develop koinonia? You do it when you take your relationship outside the four walls of this church. That's how you develop koinonia. Now, let's say you're super introverted. Now, look, I'll be honest with you. I'm an introverted person. I really am. Uh, when I get in a situation where I'm not pastor, I go into my shell because I'm just an introverted person. When, when, and when I'm in pastor mode, it's still, I do it, but it, it's still really hard for me. I do it like ripping off a, a, a Band-Aid or just jumping off a diving board. I, I just do it. For example, when we were in the nursing home, it's a little awkward just to bust up in somebody's room when they didn't know you were coming and ask if they can sing Christmas, if you can sing Christmas girls to them. Eventually, we had done like two or three rooms, and then more than one person was saying, let's let Brother Brett come to the front. Brother Brett, you come up and lead us. You're the leader. You come up in front. And how you do it is you, you just go up in those rooms like you're just ripping off a Band-Aid. Hey, how you doing? Let's sing to you. You just do it. It's hard for me. No matter what situation, it's always hard. So introverts, I understand. I'm right there with you. But let me tell you the truth. You'll never, be, you'll never have friends if you're not friendly. Never have friends if you're not friendly. Now, I believe Chesterfield Baptist Church is one of the friendliest places around, like almost to a fault. Like visitors come here and, we're, and they're like, leave me alone. <laughs> not really, but we, I think we are a friendly church. But you know what? It's almost impossible to have true koinonia if you don't attend church regularly. If you don't attend church regularly, you're not going to get it. Church attendance is dropping not because there's a drop in visitors. It's because the members aren't coming frequently anymore. And look, if, if, you're, if you're out of town, you got to work, or you're sick, look, I get it. I'm not trying to bust your chops. But you got to understand when you're not here, it makes a difference. You know, uh, you know, we say, oh, well, you know, I don't have anything to do, so I won't be missed. Oh, yes, you will. You know, we already know that not coming to church affects us, so we think it affects us. So if it just affects me, it's okay. It doesn't affect anybody else. You are wrong. You missing church affects the growth of this church. You know, you, you know so let's say you say, okay, I'm going to sit out this Sunday. Well, let's say two other families decide to sit out that Sunday. And that happens a lot more than it doesn't. And then a visitor comes to church. And the church is so empty while I'm preaching, the tumbleweed comes down the aisle while I'm preaching. The, the, the building's so empty. Will that visitor be back? Statistics say no. See, it matters when you're not here. You're not going to get the benefit of community. You're not going to get the benefit of fellowship. You're not going to get the benefit of koinonia. You're not going to get the benefit of healthy church growth if you are not here. I want Wednesday nights to grow, but if Sunday mornings grow, Wednesday nights will grow. It's not like we, have, we don't have Sunday school. We don't have Sunday morning. We've got one Sunday service. 
one. Now look, I'm going to say something now that might sound a little mean. It might sound a little heartless. Maybe a little too rough. I'm going to apologize in advance. But if you don't come to church every Sunday, you can. Don't complain to me that the church ain't growing. I don't want to hear it from you. Not if you're not coming every Sunday. I don't want to hear it. Look, I promise you, if you come to church every Sunday, you will be taught the word of God. This church will begin to grow and you'll have more friends than you know what to do with. It's all about relationships. Koinonia is all about relationships. We try to foster that as much as we can from our potlucks to our Bible studies to our men's and ladies meetings. We're trying to help you foster koinonia because you need it. This church needs it in order to grow. But I can't wrap koinonia up and give it to you as a gift. I wish I could, but I can't. You have to develop koinonia on your own. Number three, they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. Now, breaking of bread here is, is said emphatically, which, which means it goes deeper than just sharing a meal together, which, by the way, is a great way to get koinonia, little lacarettas, you know? Cha-cha-cha, little burrito, fajita. It's a good way to get koinonia. But when this church gathered together, they made it a point to remember what Jesus did for them. Some people, some churches, they take Lord's Supper every Sunday. Nothing wrong with that. Praise Jesus for that. Some, some churches, like how I grew up, only did Lord's Supper once or twice a year. I tend to think that's not enough, but there's nothing in the Bible that says that's wrong. We here at Chessboro, we take the Lord's Supper every fifth Sunday. And personally, I feel that that's adequate. If we did it more, it wouldn't matter to me. Um, this is kind of a controversial issue. But I'm going to tell you where I stand on it. Some churches have closed communion where only members of that particular church can partake of the Lord's Supper. I don't hold to that. Now, I do believe you have to be a saved child of God to partake in the Lord's Supper. But, you know, if, if you are saved, you we are all a part of his body. I will turn no saved visitor away at our Lord's Supper table. I will not do it. Um, you might disagree, but that's what I believe. Why? Because in that illustration, in that picture of Christ... We have one thing in common that transcends all of our differences. They reminded themselves constantly of what Jesus did for them. And if we're going to have healthy growth in this church, we need to do the same thing. And when we take part of the Lord's Supper, when we baptize, when we bow our head and pray at this church for an offering to dismiss, for prayer requests, we're constantly reminding ourselves of what Jesus did. And then number four, lastly, quickly, finally, they continue steadfastly in prayers. Now, of course, they were praying privately, and I think it's, I think it's deeper than that. I think it's more than that. He's using prayer here. I believe he's using prayer in a corporate sense. 
like the church together as a whole communicated something to God. What he may be describing here is the worship portion of our service. Um, because when we sing, we all communicate together the same thing to God. There are many commentators that say this phrase, in prayers, it, it means that they got together and they praised God in unison. When worship time comes, open your heart to it. Pour out your heart to Him when it's worship time. That worship time needs to mean something. Like I, I said it the other week. Well, Brother Brad, what if I'm not feeling it? You don't have to feel it. You don't have to fake it. You just have to faith it. And you can get something out of every worship service. If you don't get it anything out of the worship service, the visitors ain't going to get anything out of the worship service either. Because that's what healthy churches do. It has been longing on my heart to see Chesbro grow. And I believe it's going to happen. I've seen it happen. I'm seeing it happen. God has brought us together. God has brought us to this moment on the cusp of a new decade. And I believe sincerely in my heart that 2020 is going to be a benchmark year for Chesbro Baptist Church. But let me tell you something. It's more important that the church grows the right way. Growth isn't the goal. Growth the right way is the goal. The Lord, we want to see the Lord add to our church. Daily going out, sharing the gospel, inviting people to church. That's all good and we're supposed to do it. But listen, Jesus must accomplish this. I can't do it. Man, I've been out there and I've knocked doors for hours and hours and hours. And then people will come that I didn't even invite. I can't do it. Jesus has to do it. So instead of trying to make it happen, maybe we should focus on why it should happen. The church in Acts 2 grew because they created an environment that Jesus wanted to add to. The goal wasn't big numbers. The goal was to continue steadfastly in these four things. And Jesus added to them. And I say to you, in 2020, this church needs to focus to continue steadfastly in these same four things. Knowing that Jesus will add to this church those who are being saved. Here at this church, we teach the Word of God faithfully. As it comes, we don't skip something just because it's controversial. Because of this, those experienced junkies, they're not going to find us that exciting. We teach that it's better to deal with your problems than run away from them. So the runaway Christians, they're not going to find us that accepting. We spend our time equipping believers for the ministry. So we're not going to be as entertaining as the circus church. But you know what? If that hinders the speed at which we grow, so be it. So be it. I'm called to be faithful. Well done, thou good and faithful 
servant. It has nothing to do with how many people go to my church. That may be how my Father evaluates things, but that's not how my Heavenly Father evaluates things. I want to be sure people are growing here. I want to be sure people are being fed here. I want you to be fed the Word of God when you come. I don't want you to feed it. I want you to eat it. I want you to feed you the Word of God. With that being said, I do believe Jesus will add to our church, if we're found faithful, to continue steadfastly in the teaching of God's Word, open to the Spirit developing koinonia in us, willing to gather at His table, and willing to worship God in spirit and in truth. Christian, never forget the how, never forget the why of why that Acts 2 church grew. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved.